Welcome back to another episode of the Jim and Justin Breakdown. We're talking New York sports today with Jim Duquette, former Mets general manager. But we're not talking about the Mets today. We're talking about the Nets, the Knicks, the Giants, and the Jets. But before we get started, I want to let the listeners know that we recorded almost all of this show before Carmelo Anthony got traded. So although I still think it's a very interesting listen as we analyze where the Knicks are going in the future, we basically talked about it knowing that Melo would eventually be moved. So this doesn't change a whole lot. But I want to give the details of the trade before we even get going with the original show. Carmelo Anthony was traded to the Thunder for Doug McDermott, Enos Cantor, and a second round draft pick. That is quite a small haul if you ask me, but there's just clearly not a lot of value for Carmelo Anthony. And at this point, I can't wait to watch the Thunder games because I think it's going to be a disaster. I don't know how you put guys like Westbrook, Paul George, and Carmelo Anthony who just have usage rates that are off the charts. I don't know how they're all going to coexist on the court together. It'll be exciting to see, but let me bring in Jim now. We're going to talk about New York sports for the rest of the show, and we're eventually bringing in Glenn Grunwald, former general manager of the New York Knicks and the Toronto Raptors, so it'll be a very interesting show for you guys, even though Carmelo Anthony got traded after we recorded most of it. You ready for this, Jim? Yeah, let's do it. I'm excited about it. Let's jump right into the Nets. Uh, They've had a pretty interesting offseason. They're always bad, and they'll probably be bad again. Is that a a fair assessment? I think that's probably a fair assessment, uh, unfortunately for their for their fans. You know, I think you know. Listen, like any anyone, uh, any team, they have you know a player two or three that uh, you know that you can watch. I think take interest in. I mean, D'Angelo D'Angelo Russell is certainly one of those players. Um, you know, I remember him as a as a Laker. Obviously, you know, high pick, pick uh, second pick in the draft there a couple of years ago. Uh, so so they'll have you know I think points that you can kind of. Uh, hope, hopefully, anyway, wrap your uh, your head around and and try to enjoy watching them. I know, I know, um, you know, in the NBA, there's a lot of haves and have-nots uh, teams, right? And it's certainly they're going to be one of those that uh, uh, that you'll be going to watch maybe the other team when you're going to right uh, to, uh, the Nets for sure. I mean, I think if you're heading into a season with your highest paid player on the roster being Alan Crabb, you are in a bad spot, and that is no disrespect to Mr. Crab. He's a fine basketball player, but he's not about to carry you to more than 30 wins in a season. Uh, no, uh, Alan Crab is uh, certainly, like you said, he's uh, you know, and I know he's. They consider him a shooting guard. We know that, but um, yeah, if that, like you said, he's the highest paid guy. I don't have his salary right in front of me, but certainly look at his last, uh, the last few seasons in particular, and it's not. It's not what you would expect uh, for a you know, your highest paid player when you're averaging about 10 points a game. And so, you know, therefore, <laughs> to me, it's how many how many wins will you actually have at the end of the season? What What's your draft? You know, you're actually playing for a, a better draft pick. Yeah. I think that's the best way that we see in, in the NBA to turn your team around and be competitive is. Make sure you get a good draft pick. You know the following year. Obviously, we, they know they have, we know they have the lottery pick, but it, that's or the lottery. But it's always to me uh, fascinating that it's just not as easy to make trades with the salary cap in the NBA like it is with other sports. Right, and yeah, I would be absolutely floored if the Nets were not in the lottery this coming season, uh, and they just got D'Angelo Russell, who's a complete project. So I think that's a productive pickup because this season is more or less a throwaway. So you let a guy like him develop. 
Crab is still a young guy. He's only 25 years old, making $19 million. Hopefully he continues to play well through that. Um, and then you got a couple of veterans on the team, like DeMar Carroll, who's 31. And, and by all accounts, DeMar Carroll is he's not the most skilled player. He just works really hard. And I think that's the kind of guy that you need in the locker room. And, and same with a guy like Randy Foy. I think he's a hard worker. And so having those kind of guys, if you're building a rebuilding, a rebuilding team as the general manager, are you thinking I got to go out and get a couple of guys to set the example in this locker room? Well, yeah, certainly with a guy like Carroll, that that's the type of guy, uh, you know, again, you, you can't be in complete rebuild mode and total development mode either. I mean, you do have to have some uh, level of of talent to, like you said, to bring, uh, you know, whether it's a work ethic, whether it's some some kind of uh, understanding, some type, some kind of competitiveness, competitiveness. I never when I was going through rebuilds, I never liked to have a totally young team because there was a lot of 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 you know too much uncertainty there right you got to have some certainty on a rebuild team and that's that's what a guy like carol i think will provide yeah well let's move on to the other team uh in new york the new york knicks they're not going to be quite as bad as the nets but i i don't think they're going to get more than a seven or an eight seed even if they play well and i think the big problem for them is the triangle offense i have some interesting stats here for you jim the triangle offense they're supposed to be moving the ball, and at first glance, it looks like the Knicks do move the ball. They have the third most passes in the league, but they're also ranked in the absolute bottom of the league for dribbles per touch. Basically, what all these stats mean is that Carmelo Anthony just holds the ball and never gives it to anybody else, and that is not how you run a good offense. Can they succeed with Carmelo and with the triangle offense attempted by this team? I mean, I think they've kind of proven that you they they need to move on from this offense that that's the that's my view of it i mean you know and and you can sit there and debate whether they've had the personnel or not and and you know no no one no one team has the same you know players as uh as, as we know with uh, jordan and pip and that whole group when they were when they were you know in their in their prime but i i think it was at least my opinion uh mistaken to even bring that type of offense in they just it hasn't it hasn't worked and so now that now that that's the case i mean I, i'm interested to see the transition uh what about you what do you think yeah are, are you surprised that james dolan hasn't jumped in and broken up the whole thing again i am a little surprised and i don't know what he's been resisting that's usually <laughs> his way of me- his meddling speaking right. of Building owners, he loves to get involved, uh, involved in in things, and you know I, I don't know uh, why he sh- is showing so much restraint. I would have thought that this would have been broken up by now. Yeah, it is. It is surprising. This seems like the exact type of situation where he goes, ah, no, forget this, and get rid of Phil, and and start all over. So he's patient, but I I wonder if this is the wrong time to be patient. I, I think the triangle offense might be a little outdated. It Phil's a legendary coach; he'll be in the Hall of Fame, but. That doesn't necessarily mean his ideas will never die. Um, and so uh, that'll be interesting to see. Well, I, I think this is a good time to bring on Glenn Grunwald. Obviously, he was the former general manager of the Knicks, and, and he worked with, uh, with the ownership that they have now. So I think this is a good time to bring him on. Jim couldn't make this interview, but with me co-hosting today, I have Jake Brown from CBS Radio, host of The Jake Brown Show. Jake, thanks for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm glad to uh, replace the legend Jim Duquette, and uh, hopefully I could serve him well. I hope so, too. And uh, also on the line, we have Glenn Grunwald, the former general manager of the New York Knicks and the Toronto Raptors. How are you doing, Glenn? 
I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, it's great. Uh, so I guess just to start things off, let's just jump right into it. What is going on with the New York Knicks, and how are they going to be this coming season, in your opinion? Well, in my opinion, uh, I, I think, you know, they're in transition, obviously. They have a new management team now, and they have, uh, you know, some, some good young players. They're going to uh, sort of uh, work through uh, what happens with with Carmelo, and then and then move forward with sort of building along the, the, their young players. I guess primarily Porzingis, and you know, fingers crossed that it all works out. Is Porzingis? Glenn, do you? Oh, sorry. No, I I think you know he's obviously a very skilled, unique unique uh, sort of player, and. Uh, you know, whether he can assume the mantle of being the number one player on a very good team is, will be determined, but they'll try and figure that out over the next year or two, hopefully before they have to negotiate a rookie contract extension with him and invest a significant amount of money. Glenn, do you think Carmelo should get moved? Because right now it's a lot of indecisions because of the Rockets don't have pieces the Knicks want. Should the Knicks get rid of him for guys who they may not want, like a Ryan Anderson contract? How do you think the Knicks should deal as a former GM uh, with this whole Carmelo Anthony situation? Well, they they need to have a long term plan and strategy first of all in terms and I th- and I think again I don't have any inside information that they're trying to build through youth and through the draft and and acquiring some young talented players and, and really working on player development so. You know, in the meantime, they have to to do something with Carmelo that doesn't screw that up, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if if they can get a trade that uh, Carmelo would agree to that uh, that fits those needs, then you know they should probably do it. But you know they they shouldn't screw up their sort of long term strategy uh, by trying to move him right now. Can you see a situation, Glenn, where he stays and maybe this is a good team? Michael Beasley said to the media today that if Melo does stay, he could see the Knicks potentially being a sixth seed in the Eastern Conference, which I'm sure plenty of us would sign up for. I mean, do you see a situation where it does work out with these two years left on his contract? You know, uh, the East has changed dramatically this year so that there are a number of teams that were playoff teams last year that are probably not going to be a playoff teams, whether that's Chicago or Atlanta or uh, teams of that nature. So there might be an opportunity for, for a team like the Knicks to uh, jump up uh, in part because they, they'll, they'll play better, uh, but also because other teams are just not going to be as good. So it's certainly conceivable that the Knicks could make the playoffs. How likely that is, I'll leave that to the Las Vegas uh, oddsmakers to determine uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and whether or not that's the right thing to do too, uh, I'm not sure. Glenn, what is the value of making the playoffs if you're just going to get trounced by LeBron's team. I mean, it, it certainly seems like the Knicks, if they make it, will not get out of the first round. So is there really any value in making it? Well, it's a great learning experience for young players that have not experienced the playoffs before, like a Porzingis. Uh, uh, you know, the playoffs are a different animal than, than the regular season, and uh, learning what it's about and, and what it takes to compete successfully in the playoffs would be a valuable experience uh, for Porzingis. Trading off against that, obviously, is the fact that you're not going to be in the, the lottery and right. might not have uh, as good a chance to add a player to to the team. You know, again, that's you know that's hard to predict. You know what the value of that is, but certainly next year is predicted to be a very good uh, draft class again. Glenn Grunwald joining us. Um, the guy who's evaluating these guys, the guys who's signing guys, trading guys now, 
is Scott Perry. Just give us your thoughts on Scott Perry and, and his past. And I mean, a lot of people seem to have high praise for the guy. What do you think about Scott Perry uh, in the new Knicks GM role? Well, yeah, he's a basketball lifer, right? And he's, uh, he's earned the stripes there. He's uh, he's a really good guy. He really knows basketball. Uh, and I think he'll do fine there. I think he's got a, a great feel for, for what it takes to be successful. And he's got great connections throughout uh, you know, the basketball world, whether it's at the, the grassroots uh, AAU level or up through the NBA and even internationally. So he's, he comes with uh, a great pedigree and, uh, you know, just has to make the right decisions now, which, uh, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of art as well as science in terms of, of doing that, in terms of, of building this team. And the guy who's kind of building the team above the team and the man in charge of it all, and not in the days when he's playing with J.D. in the straight shot, is James Dolan. Uh, what's your take kind of here on James Dolan when, when you're with him, him as an owner, and how of a good of a job or bad of a job that he's doing? Well, Jim desperately wants to win and uh, will you know, spend whatever money and take whatever steps are necessary that he thinks are can uh, can help get that all done. So in terms of, of an owner and investing in the team, there's no, I don't think he takes second place to anyone. You know, hasn't gone particularly well uh, for him, uh, but that's not because he doesn't desire it or, or doesn't really want it to happen or is not willing to invest. So, uh, you know, he's got a, a new management team, and, uh, and I think he seems to be taking a more hands-off approach. And, and hopefully the guys that he's brought in, Scott, uh, will, will, uh, will get it done. I know he's added – I think Scott's added a number of other people to, to an already very solid uh, front office. Uh, and a lot of good people there already, and he's added some, some, some more good people uh, to the front office. So I think their, their depth of management experience will be very helpful in terms of moving the, the franchise forward. Glenn, do you like the fact that he is kind of hands-off? I mean, it's very rare for an owner to be just, you know what, I'm not even going to put my hands on this. Do you like that approach? Well, again, I think so. If you're, if you're a manager, you want to you wanna be able to uh, establish a plan, get an overall strategic uh, vision, what the goals are, what the expectations are, and then be allowed to go ahead and, and move with that plan and when things vary from that plan or you have any big decisions to face, you want to, you know, be able to uh, talk to the owner and uh, support it and, and, and show your rationale and, and show how it fits in with the overall goal and strategic plan and, and then have your owner support that. I think the owner is rightfully entitled to know what's going on and uh, how you plan on doing it and, and where you plan on going. Uh, but ideally, you know, they'll let you do your job. And it seems like that's what Jim is doing now. Did you feel like you were micromanaged when you were the GM? Uh, I think it was different when I was there. I think Jim, uh, uh, you know, was a little more involved in, in the decision making, and uh, and uh, now now he's not. So uh, you know, I think uh, I think it's probably a better approach uh, right now than than when I was there. I think, uh, but again, when when Donnie Walsh was running it too, he was. Uh, Donnie was given a fair bit of latitude, uh, but again, Jim got involved in a number of uh, important decisions like, like the Carmelo Anthony trade, for example. Right. A potential Kyrie Irving trade almost happened. It did happen to the Celtics, but the Knicks were rumored maybe you give away Porzingis. Listen, I think that would be a disgraceful move considering Porzingis is a once-in-the-world kind of talent. Uh, what did you think of a potential deal to the Knicks? 
And what do you think of the deal that actually went down in Boston? Uh, well, I think, uh, you know, it's a tough situation that Cleveland found themselves in when a, when a key player, a young star player, desires to get traded for whatever reason. So I think uh, Cleveland made the best of a very difficult situation. And, you know, I, I think particularly if, uh, if Isaiah Thomas can play uh, and, and overcome that injury like he did last year, I think they did very well for themselves. Uh, in terms of Kyrie Irving uh, going to Boston, well, what a change uh, to a team, to a roster that was, uh, you know, finished second in the conference. So it, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. They, they have a very good coach in Brad Stevens, and I think he, he'll be someone that'll be able to, to manage that huge transition. But I, you know, anytime you put such a new group together, it, it's, it's a little unclear what's going to happen. But you know, you know, Danny Ainge's uh, track record speaks for itself, and he thinks he's got a young star player there that has tremendous upside and will you know, bring them to the promised land. Uh, me personally, I, I don't think I've seen the leadership that, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Kyrie needs to show and, and the overall game, but uh, we'll see if that actually happens now that he's given his own team and, and, and what he wanted. What do you think about David Griffin and the potential of him going to the Knicks in the front office and uh, what, what exactly you know about him? Well, another another really solid basketball man, and David, and uh, uh, I, I don't know what happened with the apparent negotiations between him and the Knicks, but you know he made a decision that wasn't the right fit for him apparently. Um, so, but, but obviously he's got a track record there. Again, another longtime NBA uh, executive who's uh, worked for a lot of good franchises and a lot of good teams and, and done a tremendous job. You know the the changes he made to bring a championship to Cleveland were, were instrumental, you know, changing coaches was a very bold move that paid off in the middle of that season, that championship season. So, uh, you know, he would have been a, a good, good choice too, uh, had, had it worked out there with whatever the negotiations entailed. And what well, as, a, as a former GM yourself, sorry, Justin, uh, as a follow-up, um, do you understand his side of wanting to bring in his own team, his own squad, his own assistant, it seemed like that was where the things went wrong with the Knicks. That the Knicks want said, "No, no, no, we want our we want our guys. You come in yourself." And he says, "No, no, 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 no. I want to bring in my team. You're a guy who's been there before. Aren't you on the side of hey? I want my own crew with me and the guys that have been with me before." Uh, ideally, yes. You want to get your own people in there, and you want to do a fair evaluation of everyone that's that's been there uh, on the staff already. So you don't want to just make some changes. I think. You know, if you look back at the Toronto Raptors uh, and when Masai Ujiri was, was hired there, they basically cleaned house entirely. And, uh, you know, that's that's a formula that, that certainly worked for, for the Raptors. They just kept one or two people in the entire front office. And uh, so, I mean, I think if you, if you look at it from the perspective of the new guy, you want to be able to make sure you have the right staff and the right people in the right, right positions uh, to be successful. And, and Okay, and I don't know what was actually entailed in their discussions uh, with, with between David and uh, and the Knicks, but uh, obviously it didn't fit what what he was looking for in terms of a new situation. And I'm sure he'll get another opportunity in the not too distant future to get some, something that better fits with what he desires. What do you think of the Trent Redden firing? Do you think that he should have been promoted instead? <laughs> I don't know. I, I wouldn't have know enough to say about the internal workings there uh, about that. So. I know Trent's another good guy, though, so 
Uh, I've got a lot of respect for him as well. So, again, I don't know what the internal situation was going on there. Gotcha. From a statistical perspective, do you think that, uh, well, what do you think of Jeff Hornacek? Because I wanted to tell you that the Knicks' style of basketball is analytically the worst. They take the most shots from mid-range, which is the exact opposite of what you're supposed to do, and they have some of the lowest percentages in three-pointers, free throws, and points in the paint. Uh, do you think Hornacek's doing a good job, or could he be partly to blame for what's going on on the court? Well, you know, I don't think he played that way when he was coaching in Phoenix. Uh, so, you know, we'll see, uh, you know, with without the directives from, from Phil Jackson and, and, and the way Phil wanted to play, which I think is more reflective of your description of, of how they played last year. Uh, I think I think you need to give uh, Mr. Hornacek a chance to, to coach under the new regime and, and see how he plays and how the team plays. Um, you know, I, whether the team is is built to play sort of the modern style, spread the floor, uh, three-point shooting and rim shots uh, are not is to be determined. But again, it's just the first year and it was a, a late change in management. You know, after the draft uh, sort of makes it difficult for, for Scott to get uh, sort of the things going. But I think, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see where it all all lines up, but I, I don't think you can judge uh, the roster too harshly this 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 to go around. But we'll see what happens over the course of the season and the next off season. Former Knicks and Raptors GM Glenn Grunwald and the JJ Breakdown Justin McMahon and Jake Brown here filling in for former Met GM Jim Duquette. Glenn, you we we talked about it. you were you were with, with the Knicks front office, and we don't know behind the scenes how things go down. We just know the New York Post and page six. We know everything becomes a huge headline. <laughs> And, I mean, there's a lot of drama around the Garden. You were there with Donnie Walsh, Isaiah Thomas. Can you just kind of take us through the behind-the-scenes and kind of just the, how difficult it was to be in the number one market trying to man the ship for a team that was kind of in flux? Well, you know, it was uh, uh, the NBA is a, is a tough and very competitive environment. Whether you're in New York or Memphis or another small market, it's 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 a difficult situation, and and there's a lot of outside factors that uh, you know have to be overcome to be successful, and and that includes you know from a player's perspective, you know, to make sure you have players that have great character that are you know interested in in playing on a successful and winning team. Uh, but then you need to have a whole organization aligned in terms of, you know, what we're trying to do again, going back to the, to the plan and to, to the goals and, and how you plan on getting there and, and developing the right culture. So, so a lot of things have to fit together uh, for it to be successful. And, and, you know, the, the, the key uh, uh, relationship is the coach and the general manager that they're on the same page and working together. And I think, you know, we've, you know, that that's you know a problem for a, a lot of teams that are not having success you know where where does the fault lie and and uh, and whether the coach or the GM so when I arrived it was right after you know Larry Brown and Isaiah Thomas had the falling out and uh, uh, I think that was uh, you know so again you're sort of starting over from that point Isaiah you know coached uh, coached that next couple of years uh, made a little bit of progress and then Donnie Walsh was brought in so and, and then Donnie hired a new coach. So, you know, all that transition is, is difficult to, to make sure you're aligned. But, but once, uh, once Mike was there and we started building the team, you know, I thought we were heading in the right direction. Uh, we made the Carmelo Anthony trade, which sort of uh, um, 
you know, was, 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 was the right thing to do or not. It's, it's still kind of hard to say, but, uh, um, then, then we sort of had to change the way we played because of the, the type of player that Carmelo is a very good player, but, but certainly not sort of Mike D'Antoni's situation, uh, a player that plays sort of that sort of style. So then there was another change and, uh, and I thought Woody did a great job when, when I was there and, and we sort of built a team that, uh, to work with Carmelo and, uh, and we had some success, uh, but then we had another change. So, so I think, you know, hopefully what the Knicks can do is get a plan, get a, a team in place, a management team and players and coaches that all are buying in and, and stop with the constant transition and changes and, and, and things of that nature and stick with a plan and, and, and go forward in that way. Glenn, you mentioned the Carmelo for- Anthony. You, you mentioned the Carmelo Anthony trade, um, and you look back on it. It's a sixty-four thousand dollars question here, and and I want an honest answer. Is, is if you look back on that trade, do you think look back and say, you know what? I kind of wish we didn't pull the trigger, and I wish we kept Gallinari, Chandler, all those guys, draft picks, and and we didn't pull the trigger on that trade. What what, what do you think on that deal? Well, you know, obviously we gave up a lot to get Carmelo. Carmelo's a very good player, and so you know, it, you know, we we did make some progress again, uh, you know, with Carmelo. Um, so you know, it wasn't, it didn't not work. Um, but you know, ideally, what we would have done and what we we would have done is just waited for Carmelo to become a free agent that summer, and retain all those other assets, and then and then sign signed him as a free agent. Uh, but it didn't work out that way, and. There's a lot of reasons for that. So, uh, but now, now uh, you know, I can't say it was completely unsuccessful. But if your goal is to win an NBA championship, then it was unsuccessful. So, well, Glenn, thank you so much for giving us the time. This has been really interesting. I'm sure Knicks fans will particularly enjoy it. Jake, you, thank you so much for co-hosting. It's been great having you. I appreciate okay. having you, Glenn. Uh, great talking to you, man. Well, that was awesome having Glenn Grunwald on the line, former GM of the New York Knicks and the Toronto Raptors. Now I have former Mets GM, Jim Duquette, my co-host, back on the line. We're going to talk New York football. Let's start with the Jets, the bottom of the league in an organizational standpoint, and then we'll work our way out to the Giants. Okay, that sounds good. I'm, I'm, uh, well, I'm looking forward to talking to Giants, I can tell you that. Yeah, I don't think many people look forward to talking about the Jets, watching the Jets, or doing anything related to the Jets, except maybe picking against them in their survivor leagues or any kind of fantasy thing. That's the only thing the Jets are good for. If you were the GM of the Jets, would you be embarrassed to walk the streets of New York? I, I think I would uh, keep a low profile and uh, and uh, try to wear other professional teams' hats. Maybe shave the <laughs> maybe shave the goatee and go with the contacts. What because is because I don't understand. I don't. This is not it. This is not the year. Well, I mean, Jet fans are are as passionate as any, uh, as we know. And you know, going down this route now, you know, if you come out and say you're going to rebuild, that's a different story. And you know, I think that that's. You know, there'll be some fans that will cut some sl- will cut them some slack, but for the most part, I would t- I would keep a low profile. Earlier today, Christopher Johnson, the Jets owner, said, "We are definitely not tanking." As a fan, does that scare the crap out of you that this is his idea of trying to win? Well, there's there's so there's a you know the 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 contrast between uh, you know, an owner feels because it affects the product like 
when you go through a rebuild, like what the Jets are doing, there's there's many times you have to make sure that ownership, general manager, right on down is on the same page. And you hate coming out and saying that you're tanking. You hate coming out and saying a rebuild a lot of times because it affects the product. It affects the eyeballs. And, and, and a lot of times the owners aren't willing to go down that road and, and accept that if that's the – if that. You know, you can start to see, it, you know, it impacts you at the, you know, in the attendance. There's all sorts of ramifications from a revenue stream that it impacts you on a, on a rebuild. So I understand why the owner said what he did because he's trying to keep that out there as a fan. But I think realistically, the general manager and the and the and the, and the head coach, right, Bulls, they, their understanding of where this team is and how you know how it's lacking in talent overall, and that that to me is going to be interesting to watch as you know and develop as this develops during the course of the year is what is the owner what is the message the owner's trying to say and and what is it you know do you see them try to pivot which you, you just can't do in football in the middle of the season right yeah I, they're, they're for sure rebuilding no matter what the owner says um but that's just a tough situation and the only thing you can really do to benefit them i think a lot of our listeners are probably familiar with survivor leagues if you're not familiar it's where you have to pick one team every week of the season that must win their game, and you can't pick the same team twice. Uh, so last week, last year, uh, I actually won my Survivor League and made it all the way through the Super Bowl, picked the Patriots, so amazing comeback win for, for my team. Uh, nice. the, the strategy is to pick against the worst team every week. Most people are trying to pick the best teams, and then they run out of good teams after eight or nine weeks. You need to pick mediocre teams when they're playing bad teams, and the Jets give you the perfect opportunity to pick bad teams. You can use the Bills in week one like I did. I used the Raiders last week, and I very well might use the Dolphins. Every time the Jets are on the road, it's almost a guaranteed win for the other team. Uh, so that's what, that's what the Jets are good for, and that's pretty much it. But let's move over to the Crosstown team, the New York Giants. Expectations were low on the Jets going into the year, so this is not surprising. But expectations for the Giants were quite high. I know quite a few Giants fans, and all of them predicted that they would win the division. Through two games, they look like one of the worst teams in the NFL. Do you think that they're going to get any better, Jim? Boy, I tell you what, you're, you're absolutely right. They they look horrible, and it's it's you know two weeks in the NFL. I mean, you know, when you're looking at it over the course of the season, that is, I always look at it as the equivalent of of let's say 20 games in baseball, right? If you divide up divide up a baseball season in in six you know 16 10 game segments, you basically you're you're coming out of the shoot with a horrible record in the first 20 games. Is there time to turn it around? Yeah. But you better do it fast. You know, you better figure out fast what the heck is going on. The first week, you, I think you give them a little bit of a pass uh, because it was the Cowboys and it's always a rivalry. And, you, you know, they didn't have a good showing. But, OK, you see clunkers sometimes and you see teams recover uh, from from week one. But boy, when you get into week two and you see the way they played after week two, um, you do get concerned with where they are right now. And you had some some things happen towards the end of the game. Eli. Eli uh, Manning, uh, you know, uh, uh, getting a delay of game penalty down in down in the red zone, and the, the the coach calling him out after the game. You don't see that very often on winning teams, so I'm a little bit concerned. What do, what do you think of the Giants right now? Well, Eli Manning has had a problem with delay of game penalties throughout his entire career, and it's one of those things that when they're winning, it's completely fine, and everybody forgets about it. And when they're losing, people say, how in the world is he letting this happen? He's always let this happen. Uh, that's just something that he struggles with, and I don't know why. I personally think that the day Eli Manning is inducted into the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame officially becomes a joke. I, I think that 
he's a very mediocre quarterback. I have never been impressed by him ever, except for the one sideline throw that he made in the second Super Bowl that he won. And other than that, I've mostly thought, how lucky can one player get in the NFL? But that's neither here nor there. At this point, it's Ben McAdoo's problem to deal with. He knows what he has in Eli Manning. He needed to know what he had coming into the season, and he clearly did not. I mean, he's saying, like, I'm surprised how bad our line is. I'm surprised Brandon Marshall's not worked into the offense better. How are you surprised by these things? This is your job to make sure. If I'm the, if you're the general manager of the Giants, what are you doing? Because I think if I'm in this situation, I'm getting close to already firing Ben McAdoo because um, he's he seems clueless as to what's going on in his team. Uh, what was your take on that? You know, it's it's interesting because I'm I've never been a fan, uh, just generally speaking, of firing coaches, managers uh, in the middle of the season or early, early in the season. Like if you were yeah. if yeah. you after week three in the NFL or in baseball after the first month have a bad start and your manager, you you think the manager should be fired after the first month or the coach after the first three games, then you probably shouldn't have had him starting the season as your manager. Well, that's right. Yeah, that's and the that, big thing. That thing, because now all of a sudden what it does is it puts attention on you as a general manager uh, that you fell asleep potentially at the wheel in the, over the wintertime and, and had the wrong guy from the, from the shoot. So if I'm, if I'm in their situation, maybe you're, you're, you're obviously accepting of that a little bit, but you're also trying to see, boy, can I fix this or is this even fixable? That, that to me is going to be very interesting to watch in another week or two. Yeah, no, I agree. Actually, I, I hadn't thought about that. If he fires McAdoo now, it's clear that this was on him. He needed to know going in that his coach wasn't ready to do this job. And the whole organization looks really bad right now, in my opinion, because the talent that this team has, that defense is excellent. I mean, the amount of talent and the amount of money that they poured into the pieces around Eli Manning, it's just inexcusable for them to go out and look this bad. And now Ben McAdoo is saying he's thinking about giving up play-calling abilities to somebody else. I mean, it almost looks like everyone's backing away from the situation already, and they're only one game out of first place in the division. So that'll be an interesting story to watch unfold. I heard this morning that they're thinking of having Orleans Darkwa take over as the lead running back. He's had like three carries so far, and now all of a sudden they're like, he's our new lead running back. I mean, everything I'm hearing out of the Giants in the last couple days uh, is just embarrassing. I mean, it's the whole thing is is a shit show. It's a it's amazing how ridiculous that is that has gone and gone and turned, and they better figure it out fast. New York is you know especially uh, as you mentioned you know at the outset the Giants expectation level was to be to, was to win their division, and no one in in New York really felt like the Jets were going to be very good. So. Uh, this is this is going to bear watching because there are, uh, you know, as we've seen along the way in other teams, that they there's not a lot of patience for slow starts. Uh, uh, it's just, it's it's you know it's the season is over too quickly. So uh, I'll be curious what they decide to do, what what ownership decides to do if this continues. Yeah, the, there's a very big difference between the 0 and 2 start the Jets are having and the 0 and 2 start the Giants are having because of the expectations and the talent and the money going into the team. So. And New York, it's it's not a very forgiving town, is it, Jim? Oh no, you can say <laughs> sure. It is definitely not a uh, not a forgiving town, and and you know they 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 have a hard time forgetting that they lost to the Cowboys, but it's almost I don't know. It might be even more unforgivable losing to the Lions. <laughs> All right, well, yeah, this this has been fun talking New York sports. It's it's always a good time, and uh, we'll see you next week.